we want to encourage everyone to come in, find a seat. Is this on? <laughs> Can you hear me back there? There we go. Well, you notice our seating arrangement is a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're trying to open every other row. And um, the COVID guidelines for faith institutions have changed. Uh, they're a little less restrictive now. And the restrictions allow a little more capacity. So we're trying to accommodate that. Uh, the restrictions regarding masks and distancing are still in place, so we want to encourage you to please continue to wear your masks and continue to use that six feet. Uh, anyway, we're happy that everyone's here this morning. We're glad you're here. And one day, hopefully soon, uh, we'll be able to meet like we did before, and we'll maybe have a new norm. I don't know what that will look like, but a new norm. We would also like for you to note that uh, there are plans being made to have classes once again uh, regarding classes for both adults and children. We believe it's uh, too difficult to have classes for the adults without the children and vice versa. So we're uh, trying to plan for a time when we can do both. Um, we hope that will happen sometime after Easter and before the summer begins, uh, we'll let you know more about timing later. We hate to get um, to make specific dates until we can be sure about what we're doing. Just want everyone to know that uh, there is some progress being made, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to come together for Bible class uh, sometime soon. As we begin worship this morning, I'd like for you to think about the idea that Jesus is first and then we follow. And that's true in almost everything. And as we uh, think about Easter, uh, Easter is coming. Kyle and uh, Chris are uh, speaking about that out of Luke. They're helping us to think about that. The, Easter is the time of year that History and scripture teach us uh, that Jesus was crucified. And secondly, that he rose from the grave. Those are two meaningful parts of that event and somewhat different. First, Jesus suffered. He willingly gave himself on the cross and he became a sacrifice. And secondly... He was victorious over death by his power, God's power. He came back to life. Satan did not have a hold on him. And this is not unlike our experience. We should be thinking about that. As we travel this life, we face trials, uh, yes, and suffering. These bodies of ours are broken. And we are like flowers, so very fragile. Here today, gone tomorrow. But there is a part two. The part two is that we live under his control. We live under his power. And even now, we have overcome. 
by his power, we will live even after this life. And we should be thinking about that as we approach Easter, both of these parts. I'd like to read a passage. If you'd like to follow along, it's in Ephesians chapter 1. This talks about our blessings, the blessings that come because Jesus died, God had a plan. Ephesians 1, beginning in chapter 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. We have so much to look forward to. And uh, we share, we all share in these blessings because we belong to him and because Jesus did what he did. Would you bow with me as we begin our worship? Father, we're so thankful for your son. We're thankful that he came. We're thankful that he sacrificed himself and that in humility he did what he did. And Father, we're thankful that you had a plan, that this was part of your plan, and that we are blessed through this plan. Uh, Father, we're thankful for the power that you have to raise us. And Father, we know that even now we walk in these blessings because of your son. Be with us as we think about these things this morning. Help us to dwell on the blessings that we enjoy we pray all this through your son. Amen. Let's begin our worship. Let's sing together. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. 
My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Again, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you are here with us this morning, or if you're with us online. I do want to say, in case you missed it, we had a baptism on Sunday. Laurel Hammer was baptized. She's here this morning. Just want to make sure we recognize that and make sure that we recognize the responsibility that we have as her brothers and sisters to her own growth. But congratulations, Laurel. Let's continue worshiping together. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. From the heavens, praise his name. Praise Jehovah in the highest. All his angels praise proclaim, all his hosts together praise him, sun and moon and stars on high. Praise him, O ye heaven of heavens, and ye floods above the sky. Let them praise his gift, Jehovah. For his name alone is high, and his glory is exalted, and 
and his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. All ye fruitful trees and cedars, all ye hills and mountains high, creeping things and beasts and cattle, birds that in the heavens fly, kings of earth and all ye people, princes, great earth judges all, praise the men and maidens, aged men and children small. Let them praises give Jehovah, for his name alone is high, and his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. Amen. This morning, uh, we are looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so I was trying to think of songs that kind of reflect on Jesus's kingship. And so hopefully you see that theme this morning. You are Lord of creation and Lord of my life, Lord of the land and the sea. You were Lord of the heavens before there was time, and Lord of all lords you will be. We bow down and we worship you, Lord, we bow down. And we worship you, Lord, we bow down. And we worship you, Lord, Lord of all lords you will be. You are King of creation and King of my life, King of the land and the sea. You were King of the heavens before there was time and king of all kings you will be we bow down and we crown you the king we bow down and we crown you the king we bow down and we crown you the king king of all kings you will be We bow down, and we crown you the king. We bow down, and we crown you the king. We bow down, and we crown you the king. King of all kings you will be. morning. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 19, verses 36 through 40. Again, that's Luke 19, 36 through 40. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. 
When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Next week is Easter. I don't know if that's really sunk in for me just yet. I've been thinking, uh, thinking about this sermon series, and we've been building towards Easter, but I don't think that it's quite sunk in for me just how close Easter is at this point. Uh, as I was reading through the Gospel of Luke this week and preparing for this morning's lesson, uh, it, it feels like the week between Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem and the crucifixion takes an eternity. There's so much that happens in this, this short period of time. Uh, it's, it's a really loaded section of history in the life of Christ. It's, it's, Jesus is busy the whole week. He's doing something all the time. And I think as we're reading through that, Luke is using all this activity that's happening in the middle to distract us from what we know is about to come. And I say that not because I think Luke is trying to trick us, but because he wants us to be as surprised by the crucifixion as the disciples had to be. You see, when we read the Gospels, most of the time we can't read them apart from our dramatic irony. We know what's coming, even if the characters in the story don't necessarily know what's coming. The disciples throughout the entire gospel are clueless when Jesus says things like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now they know what taking up a cross is. Kyle mentioned that last week. They know what it looks like to bear a cross. Every Roman citizen at the time, every person living in a territory occupied by Rome knew what it meant to take up a cross. It was a terrifying, horrible thing to have to do. And Jesus is telling his followers, if you would follow me, you must take up your cross. Now we know what that means because Jesus himself is on a path towards the cross. But his disciples haven't seen this yet. There's this uncomfortable tension between what, what Luke says about Jesus's words and then what the disciples experience. Kyle mentioned last week that you have this, this statement, take up your cross and follow me, followed immediately by the transfiguration. These words of humility, of, of maybe even having yourself torn down to nothing, and then Jesus himself is glorified in such a way that it's undeniable to the people who are around him. It dumbfounds Peter to the point where he starts babbling and he doesn't even know what he's talking about. And we have these contrasts that happen in the Gospel of Luke over and over again where Jesus talks about humility right next to a passage about glory, about his magnificence, about his, his wonder and awe. And this morning, I want to talk about 
the triumphal entry. This is traditionally Palm Sunday within, within Christianity. Most uh, groups of Christians recognize this Sunday as the opportunity to remember the triumphal entry in which the followers of Jesus and really just crowds who are pulled into the gravity of his ministry surround the roads of Jerusalem and they, they lay down palm branches and they lay their coats down for the, the cult that he's riding on to move into Jerusalem. And it is this dramatically wonderful moment where Jesus is being glorified in a way that calls back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's, it's this moment where Jesus is riding into town as a conquering king. It's an allusion to the emperor of Rome returning to Rome after having a conquest of generals riding into a new, a new city as the new reigning ruler, the emissary of Rome. This is Jesus emulating triumph. And we call it the triumphal entry because we know what's coming. We know that the resurrection is a week away. But the people in the story don't know that. Jesus likely knows the details that are about to play. But his disciples have no idea what's about to happen. And so this next week has to be a very confusing time for them. I want to go ahead and read that triumphal entry passage again here, and I want us to think on what it is that these people are experiencing as they're preparing for Jesus to enter into uh, Jerusalem. And we didn't move this remote over when we changed computers in the back, so I'm going to control it from here. Uh, we have a brand new AV system in the back, and we didn't move a USB plug over, so that's, that's my fault. Give me one moment here. David, do you mind bringing up that slide? Actually, I've got it. Never mind. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here. For Herod wants to, uh, this is going back a little ways. For Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke chapter 13 begins this moment where Jesus starts to foreshadow what he's going to be doing. And he denies Jerusalem. He says, I'm, I'm not going to Jerusalem until the appointed time. I'm, I'm staying out of the city. I have nothing to do with that city for the time being. Uh, and the Pharisees kind of seem to be on Jesus' side at this point, right? Herod wants to kill you. You, you need to hide yourself away. It's it, too dangerous for you. He says, look, Herod can do what he's going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I've got some business I'm about. And for the next three days, I've got some business I'm about. And I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do as the Savior. But I'm coming back to Jerusalem. And when I get there, they will proclaim, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so then we get to the day of the triumphal entry. And we, we have the passage that was read earlier. And Jesus comes in on the back of the donkey and they they lay down their coats, they wave their palm branches, and they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
It's this exciting moment where Jesus has predicted what's going to happen. He provides a prophecy about himself. He goes into the city doing exactly as he said he would do. And he's triumphant. He's doing the thing that he was sent to do in the minds of all of his disciples. Because over the course of his life, people have started following him because they believe he is the Messiah. Peter confesses this about Jesus, right? Uh, Others recognize that Jesus is fulfilling a lot of the, the prophecies about a Messiah who will set free the captives. And the Israelites, of course, see themselves as the captives here, and rightly so. They're occupied by the Roman, Roman Empire. This is not a peaceful state of affairs for them. And so they've invested their hope in this man who is coming into Jerusalem, who's putting on almost a military uh, ceremony as he marches into town, but there's not a weapon in sight as far as we can tell. Jesus rides in on the back of a colt, and as he gets into the city, uh, things start to take a very strange turn. And I want to talk about the things that we see happen in the life of Jesus over the remainder of this week. First of all, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem and immediately begins weeping for the state of affairs. He's torn up about what's going on in really his city, right? He was born just a stone's throw away in Bethlehem. We read in the Gospel of Luke about him as a small child left behind at the temple where he's teaching the law teachers about the law, and they're marveling at him. This is his father's house, as he calls it at the beginning of the gospel. This is a place where he should be most comfortable, a place where he should be among his literal people. And yet the state that he finds this city in is mournful. And he weeps and he goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers. And and there's this dramatic moment. and, And it's this contrast of Jesus weeping for the state of the city and then doing something about it. And it's this big, bold move. And everyone who witnesses it must think this is the beginning of the revolution. This is an exciting moment in the history of Israel. Jesus is going to reform everything. It's all going to be different than it was before. This is the Jesus we were expecting. The one who is going to come in with a whip and drive these guys out. He's going to overturn tables and send people flying out of the temple who don't belong there. This is a revolutionary Jesus. But once he's cleansed the temple, the people who have previously sometimes been on his side, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, say, wait a second, this, this isn't the revolution we signed up for. We kind of liked the system the way it was, and now you're telling us the system the way it is is wrong. You're, you're making a mess here, Jesus. You know, there's a tower right up there over the temple, and they see you causing trouble here, and they're going to send the troops down. They're going to think it's a revolution, and it's going to cause all of us trouble, and we won't be able to practice our religion the way we've practiced it before. Jesus, what are you doing? And they start trying to catch him in a trap. Now, in other Gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees almost immediately start trying to cap- catch Jesus in traps. But here in Luke, it starts in chapter 20, really. A couple times they have some animosity towards him. They don't like his interpretation of scripture, but they're not trying to trap him necessarily. Here in chapter 20, Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they they have some, some conflict between them. 
where they're trying to find a way to shake Jesus's words so that they can now cast him, specifically him, not us, but him, as the revolutionary, as the one who's trying to overthrow Rome. And so they ask him questions about, you know, the, the taxes. Who are you supposed to pay taxes to? Uh, they ask him questions about the temple. They ask him questions about all sorts of different things. And every time Jesus comes back, you know, he, he's asked about his authority. And they won't answer a question he asks in response, so he won't answer their question. And Jesus spars with them. And it, it's a very peculiar thing for the man who just rode into town being proclaimed the one who comes in the name of the Lord to have to then defend himself against the people who are teaching the law of the Lord. It doesn't make any sense in the context of things. These Pharisees and Sadducees, they should be embracing him, right? And as the reader, if we can set aside what we know is coming, we have to start getting the sense that this might be a failed revolution. Because then Jesus starts preaching about the apocalypse, which is a really strange thing for a new king to be teaching about. And he starts telling the people of Jerusalem that things are going to get really bad for them, that the temple is going to be destroyed, that people will be weeping, that there will be gnashing of teeth, that there's going to be starvation and hunger. This is what we call the little apocalypse of Luke. It's a, it's a small, quick, concise overview of a big change that's about to come for the people of Jerusalem. And it doesn't sound at all like the reassuring words of a king who's there to proclaim good news for the people of the city. These are not the kind of campaign promises you make if you want to be elected. But Jesus doesn't want to be elected. Jesus doesn't want to be placed on the throne of Israel. Jesus doesn't want to take up even the, uh, the, the holy seat in the temple. He doesn't want to take up the priesthood there in the temple because he's proclaiming that the temple itself will be destroyed. Jesus is denying all the seats of power that the people were so ready to give him. Where's the triumph? This is the question we have to ask ourselves as we, we get to the end of chapter 21. What in the world is going on? Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We read the stuff at the beginning of the book about the angels proclaiming who he is. About kings from the east coming and bringing him gifts and bowing down and worshiping him. We've watched him cast out demons. We've watched him heal lepers. We've watched him give sight to the blind. We've watched him love and embrace humanity. We've seen him transfigured on top of a mountain and proclaimed the son of God, not just by people, but by the voice from heaven. What in the world is going on? Perhaps the strangest of all of these is the moment when we get to Luke chapter 21, verse 37 through 38. It says, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the Mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And they come into the temple, and they, they listen to what he has to say. And this is even after he's preached the destruction of Jerusalem, a big, wild overturn, the death of many. He doesn't say the death of many Romans, but the death of many. 
And it says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you would think, if the people are in support of Jesus, there's nothing that the the chief priests and the scribes and, and all those who are the teachers of the law would be able to do to slow the revolution. Because at this point, if Jesus wanted to, he could command the people to do his will, to take up swords, overthrow the chief priests and the scribes, call them into you know, a, a reform and say that these men are heretics. They've aligned themselves with Herod. I have proof. They've aligned themselves with the Romans. I have proof. He could throw them into a frenzy and a turmoil and, and, and cause chaos and trouble for the, the people who are conspiring against him. But instead of doing that, Jesus doesn't gather the support of the people to protect himself. Instead, he allows someone among his own group of disciples, the closest people to him, to succumb to temptation, to betray him to the chief priests and the scribes. And then he stands trial. And the interesting thing about this trial is that it's a trial on all fronts. He stands before the council in chapter 22, verse 66 through 71. In chapter 23, verse 1 through 6, he stands before the Roman authority, Pilate. In chapter 23, verse 7 through 12, he stands before kind of a Jewish Hebrew authority in Herod, a false king of this world, a self-proclaimed king. And he submits himself to these trials. The same man who rode into town on the back of a colt proclaimed and heralded by the people as the one who came in the name of the Lord, ushered in with palm branches and coats on the ground so that the dust, even of the hooves of the colt, would be clean. And this is a Jesus who is humble. The same guy that drove the money changers out of the temple stands on trial before just men. Not anyone significant in the long, grand story of history, just men. And I think about this, you know, we, we sing the song, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels, the idea that when he's up on the cross, there is an army at his command, not even a human army. He, he, he may have allowed the human army to subside and even leave him behind. But there was still an army of heaven he could call on. And he chooses not to do that. Because as Jesus faces these authorities, as Jesus faces death on the cross, what we are supposed to be hearing are words that come just before this. Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And he came out and went, as was his custom, over the course of the week to the Mount of Olives. 
It's not unusual that he would be there. He set a pattern from the time he entered the city until the time of his crucifixion. Every evening, where would he go? The Mount of Olives. You know where to find him. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is submission. This is humility. This is a man who's proclaimed king who recognizes that there is work to be done still. That the throne that he's come to claim is not a throne in Israel. It's not even the mercy seat in the temple. This is, this is a king who recognizes that he must take up his cross and deny himself. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. I've always thought that's a very strange phrase, sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And we know, of course, at this point, that's when he's arrested. That's when he's dragged before these authorities, these lowercase a authorities. And the man who has all authority, access directly to the highest authority, the authority of heaven itself, the throne of God, abdicates his glory to approach the cross. As we enter into this week that leads up to the resurrection, I want us to ask ourselves a question, a, a serious and honest examination of, of our own motives, of our own desires, of, of the ways in which we work in our world. Do we want to submit in the way that Christ submits? The easy answer is yes, of course. I want to emulate Christ and deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. But as I ponder that phrase and I look at what it is that Jesus says here, Jesus, the king of kings, who says, not my will, but yours be done. I think about what that cross might look like. Because it's easy for me to have an abstract cross in mind. Yeah, there's going to be difficulty in my life. Maybe my difficulty is that I'm occasionally going to be embarrassed when I tell somebody about Jesus. That's a difficult cross to bear. But that's not the cross that Jesus is talking about. He says it's your cross. But what is it that Jesus bears when he takes up his cross? What is it that Jesus carries with him as he goes up that mountain? What is it that he's chosen to deny his own will for? My burdens are that cross. 
And Jesus is not asking me to take up my burdens and follow him. He's not asking me to take up the weight of my own sin and follow him. He's done that already. And so there must be something else I have to deny myself and take up. And the only thing I can think of as I look through the Gospels, as I look at the teachings of the apostles, as I, as I begin to more fully embrace and understand what it is that Jesus does in this week leading up to the cross and the resurrection, is that I am called to bear what others cannot. The burdens of others, not myself. Now, I'm not called to bear the sin of another person because I'm not qualified to do that. And it's already been carried by Christ. But if I am to follow Jesus, I have to be a whole lot less concerned about my own well-being and a whole lot more concerned with the burdens of others. Are we willing to follow Jesus in this? We like the idea of triumph. I think that's why Palm Sunday is such a big thing across the board in so many churches, is it's this, this magnificent moment. In a lot of churches, they literally bring palm branches into the church, and they, they have a procession that they you know, exclaim, uh, blessed be the one that comes in the name of the Lord, and they get up out of their seats, and there's, there's exuberant and exciting moments, and we don't do that in the Church of Christ. That's okay. But we often don't like the part that comes after. Because Jesus doesn't triumph towards his own glory. He triumphs towards humility so that we can be saved. Can we see humility as a triumph in our own lives? What cross is Christ calling you to bear this week? Whose burdens is he asking you to deny yourself in favor of? It's a question that I can't answer for you. It's a question I sometimes struggle to answer for myself. But I'm going to ask you this week as we approach Easter, as we approach the resurrection, as we approach the moment that we believe is the ultimate glorification of our Savior, I want us to focus most importantly on what he calls us to do. To humble ourselves, deny ourselves, and bear the burdens of others, and spend time this week asking if we are in fact resurrected people recreated in the image of Christ, what burdens are we going to be in the business of bearing? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are good and faithful. And sometimes we just want a revolution. We want uh, loud explosive moments. We want to see the money tables flipped over. We want to see the, the political figures, the uh, religious bigwigs, the, the individuals who uh, claim petty kingdoms and, and small thrones to be put in their place. But God, the revolution you call for is a revolution of ourselves a revolution that occurs within our hearts, a change of who we are. Father, we know that your disciples ask you who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
You tell them to become the least. We know those words and we still want to grasp for greatness. Help me to be small this week. Help me to think less of myself and to serve others more. To bear my cross as the burdens of others. Humble us. Give us eyes like your son that desire deeply to rectify the wrongs that we see in this world. Help us to weep over our own Jerusalem. And then help us to make things right by being servants to those who need love and support and service. Father, next week there's a lot to celebrate. But right now we ask that you help us to have a triumph of humility. Help us to be small in our own eyes and to see others as more important than ourselves. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if you are uh, in need of support, prayer, uh, if you are in need of uh, a listening ear, if you are in need of baptism, if you want to know a little bit more about what Jesus is all about, we want to encourage you to pursue that. And we have ways for you to do that. Uh, you, can, you can see one of our elders this morning. I will be at the back of the auditorium for the remainder of service. If there is a uh, pressing need on your heart, I encourage you to find me back there, and we will uh, make sure that you are cared for and loved well. If we can bear your burdens, if we can take up our cross and love you by being humble ourselves, we want to do that. And so I'm going to encourage you to keep that in mind as we stand and we sing. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we lift up your name with hearts full, hearts full of praise, so be exalted, O Lord. In the highest glory, glory, glory to the King of Kings, glory, glory, glory to the King of Kings, and Lord, we lift up your name with hearts full. Hearts full of praise, so be exalted, O Lord my God. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Faithful love flowing down from the thorn covered brow makes me whole, saves my soul. Washes whiter than snow, faithful love calms each fear, reaches down, dries each tear, holds my hand when I can stand on my own. Faithful love.
This next song will be to prepare our hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. We'll sing that part again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you. 
my church family and of course the dudes Bob Lugan here with this week's communion devotional I'm calling this one stand fast it's been a hard year for all of us many of us have needed to remain isolated from our brothers and sisters many of us have lost loved ones and not been able to share the pain or get the loving on that is a large part of who we are it may get better it may not just love and support each other as best you can. Did you know that today is Palm Sunday, the first day of the Holy Week? In our tradition, we don't make a big deal out of Palm Sunday. But it's worth noting, though, as it kicks off perhaps one of the most important weeks for you and me. That's the week leading up to Easter. It starts as Jesus enters the city of social, economic, and political power on a donkey's colt. See the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. It is funny. As Jesus enters, the people knew. They laid cloaks and branches as he rode in. But as far as we can tell, none of those in authority. He drew a crowd. The entire scene recalls the welcoming of Israelite kings in earlier days, especially with the throwing of palm branches. He proceeds, see Matthew 21, verse 12 through 22, verse 46 and beyond, to take the Jewish leadership to task. And he teaches a whole lot of lessons. Pretty much from Matthew 21, 1, Matthew details the last week of Jesus' life the events which took place and the lessons taught ending with the resurrection. It is important for our faith that we reflect and learn. Take the bread. Perhaps the most important thing Jesus left for us during his last week comes from Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. He is asked by the Pharisees, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. As we contemplate the death and resurrection this week, focus today with this thought. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the bread of Jesus. Thank you for your 
greatest commandment. We just ask that you will help us as we contemplate this week about the death and resurrection of your son and 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 our relationship to you and to Jesus and the, and just the saving presence. In his name we pray. Amen. follows up with part B, Matthew twenty two thirty nine, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. His sacrifice reigns supreme. To love your neighbors requires a sacrifice. As you consider the events of the next week, contemplate on your sacrifice to your neighbors. Let's pray for the cup now. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, for your saving grace, and we just ask that as we focus and contemplate on our lives, that we can understand the sacrifices that we need to make to love our neighbors. And we just ask for your presence, and, and we just love you. In your son's name, amen. I'm back for part three. So we we sort of shoehorn this in. Um, it's our custom, our tradition uh, to make contribution at the end of communion. Um, really doesn't matter when or where we, we do this, but we do it here. And I wanted to remind everyone that, that we've got a couple of most excellent staff members. Um, and, and it's really important that um, we uh, make contribution, that we have their backs. So I know it's a tough time, um, money-wise, uncertainty, uh, you know, the economy and the world, uh, the whole COVID uh, virus, uh, we're all shaken. But uh, reflect on the fact that we, we want to make sure we've got their backs. So consider that in your hearts. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for great staff, for facilities. We just pray that, that you will bless uh, this offering and each of us and, uh, and that we can, we can carry out your work. In your son's name, amen. Bye, all. Hope to see you in person sometime soon. Let's go ahead and stand for our final song. <clears throat>
Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again over every thought, over every word. May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord, cause you mean more to me than any earthly thing. So won't you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again, Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again. You are the Lord of all I am. So won't you reign in me again. Amen. You can be seated. I don't think we have any special announcements this morning. I will mention that there are some things out in the foyer uh, that have been left there for you to pick up if you would like. You've probably seen that announcement online. So I'll leave it at that. Would you bow with me as we close? Father, we're thankful that we've had this time to come before you this morning. We're thankful that we can encourage each other, that we can be a part of your church. Be with us, Father, that we can... Um, be thoughtful of each other, be mindful of each other as we walk this life. Help us to encourage those people around us. Uh, Father, there are so many that need your encouragement now. Help us to be strong and steadfast. Father, help us to share our faith. Help us that we can share the message, the good news, that your son is who he is, that he has come and uh, provided for us. Father, be with us as we leave. We pray through your son. Amen. You are dismissed.